It's time for JT the Brick. How are we doing? Baby, I'm great. JT, how are you doing? What do we want to talk about with the Raiders? So I want to see an interception. I want to see some bats. Third down and five on the 25. Wilson back to pass. Crosby in his face. Grabs Wilson around the shoulders and swings him down at the 34. Crosby with his second sack of the game. And the Raiders defense gets a stop. And then your boy JT got it right. JT the Brick. Always, always great to be with the Brick. I don't spend a lot of time on teams that don't make the playoffs. We talk about what matters in championships and winning here. It's big boy radio. You know, playing fast has always been fun for me. And I enjoy it when there's time. And there's a time and a place for it. And now, here's JT the Brick. Thanks for coming back, everybody. JT, we are brought to you by the DeCastaverde Law Group. What a day. For our friends at the Castaverde Law Group, as they love the Raiders and they are a family-run law group here in town, and they are proud partners with us. And I look at this family and what they mean and how much they love the Raiders and the business we're able to do with them. Appreciate the fact that the Castaverde Law Group is a proud partner of our show here. And Alex in Orlando, especially Alex, who I get a chance to see at the games all the time, Really happy. Their family will fight for yours. If you get into an accident, if you are injured in a car accident, that the Castaverde Law Group will step up with you. They are family, la familia, as we like to say, and they are great attorneys with a proud reputation dating back to the goals that their dad had a long time ago. So when it comes to an accident, an injury, they will make you a priority, take care of you, and let you fight all the way with them to the win at the end. I really am proud to be associated with them, the DeCastaverde Law Group. We're going to get more into the play. Where do you rank that play all-time in Raider history? I don't know where you do unless you tell me. Where do you put it up against Sea of Hands? Where do you put it against the Holy Roller? Where do you put it against the Heidi game? Now, the bad plays are the tuck rule and the immaculate reception. You wouldn't put it there. But you have to put it in these wild games. The Heidi game, I think, is the comparable to it. It's the Heidi game, the modern version of the Heidi game, but it was on TV and they didn't cut away from it. I enjoyed it. I had a great time. I'm worn out, mentally worn out from what that roller coaster ride was like in the final couple of minutes. The delay, the review, then the potential to go to overtime, to not go to overtime and win that way. Holy cow. The calls, the play-by-play on this, the fans who were there, the fans that were upset and bailed. There's so much to get to it. They talk about meat on the bone on radio. A lot of meat on the bone if you want to get into that game yesterday. I want to spend most of the time talking about that final play because that should have the biggest connection to you and me, what that final play meant to you. 702-365-9200. Right here in Vegas, Al, thanks for waiting. You're up next. Lead us off, hour number two. JT, what's up, JT? Man, what a game. I was holding my dog watching the TV, and then I see the guy throw it back, and I see Chandler Jones just sitting there. And I'm like, oh, oh, Chandler, go. And then I see that big stiff arm on Flat Jones. (laughs) Stiff arm was amazing. The stiff arm was incredible. I was watching one of the – uh, one of the post game man. I heard you were there with your family, man. How did? Um, uh, what about you, man? What were you thinking? I, I was just, I was having fun. Appreciate the call. I was. What I do is I sit with my wife in my seats for a little bit. My sons got in there, had other seats. They were hanging by the torch. They were hanging up in the torch area. They're old enough. My oldest to have a Modelo, so he was having a cerveza, having it up there with his buddies who were in from college. So they stayed up there for that, and then. I went up to the press box in the third quarter. The third quarter was a nightmare. 
So I'm sitting up in the press box with Harry Ruiz, who's going to join us next, Jason Horowitz and Lincoln in the other booth. And I'm watching the game there, and I'm going, you got to be kidding me. So fourth quarter comes, I grab my backpack with my computer, and I head down to the Modelo Cantina Club for the postgame show, and I've said it all year. It's kind of like a walk to the guillotine for me. It really is. It's like every time I make that walk, something chaotic is going on. The Patriots take the lead. And I get there, and I drop off my bag, and I go and sit down in the section there. I found an open seat, and at one point I was defeated. I'm not going to tell you I was standing on my seat at fourth down thinking Derek on fourth and ten was going to complete that pass. It looked like it was unraveling, unraveling, and a little bit in my head I'm saying, all right, what are we going to do here on the postgame show? And doing this 24 years with the team, I knew what I was going to do. Play the highlights, which were the lowlights, wait for the head coach to talk, open up the phones and hear everybody just come after me like it's a Game of Thrones category. Everybody's screaming at me, blaming me like I played the game. Right? Like I made the calls. But that's what I do. That's what I get paid to do, and I appreciate it. And it all got washed away. It got washed away, and it was a beautiful thing. Beautiful. And when I left, I tell this story all the time. When I leave the stadium and I walk out of there after everyone, there's a couple of people there in the media maybe doing one more hit on the field. I go outside, and I see hundreds of workers who are getting there to work to clean the stadium. And they come in at night. They don't come to the game. They come there to clean the stadium, and they're all happy and talking, and they're cold. It was cold out at night there, and they're getting ready to go in there and work and clean up that palace and make it beautiful for the next event. And it really always puts it in perspective for me. I'm done working, which isn't work. It's fun. And I'm watching people coming in to do tough labor to clean it, and they're all, they got smiles on their face. And then I walked to my car and, and come home, and my family was waiting for me, and they were really excited. So it was a special day yesterday. I really enjoyed it. Raider Dave, always good to hear from you in Denver. Go ahead. Hey, thank you very much. You know, I was at the Holy Roller game in the end zone right in front of me, and since it was a playoff game, or it seemed like maybe it wasn't, but since I was there, that's probably got a rate above it. Yeah, the sea of hands, that was a playoff game. That's got a rate above it. Goes to the post, that's got a rate. They're all Goes to the post, yeah. Goes big, to the post, sure. Big, big games. So this one? Yeah, probably the top, uh, you know, shocking end, great end to a regular season game. And I got to ask you a question: mm-hmm. Did you see Max Crosby completely decleat Myers? Yes, I did. Did they I, I mentioned a penalty that. On that. No, I don't think so because he was a live player at that point in time. The play was alive, and you know, I thought he threw him to the ground. I don't. I wouldn't say decleat him. It wasn't a wasn't a dirty hit. I don't think it was anything yeah. that was that hard. He just. He just violently hit him really good and threw him to the ground. That's the way Max plays at full speed. It was after he had the ball, so I was thinking it was, you know, uh, possibly could be, you know, unsportsmanlike or something like that during the middle of it. But is that whatever the rule is? Is there a rule like you can't end the game on a defensive penalty? I don't know. I don't think I don't think that would have been the issue. I don't think that was going to be the issue. I didn't see it the way you did. I just thought it was a hard clean hit afterwards. Hey, when you're when the ball's alive and the play is in progress, yeah. that's what yeah. happens on interceptions and plays like this. Everyone's got to protect themselves because the other team Absolutely. now can, can, can so be the aggressor. Watching, watching it at home, I, I couldn't have been happier. You know, I was with you. That it seemed like Derek was just not able to find the right you know receiver. That thing with. With uh, Waller tipping the ball and and Adams being mm-hmm. in the same area, I don't know what they were doing. I don't get the the, the grace to see it all twenty two, but man, it's got to be mm-hmm. some way to get these top receivers in the NFL that play for the Raiders open. And I don't know if it's play design or whatever, mm-hmm. but man, for the rest of the season, I am with you. Let it fly because Carr is at his 
best doing that. Yeah, thanks, Dave. I appreciate it. I don't, I'm surprised they don't attack more in the end zone. If you follow me on Twitter at JT the Brick as we bring in Harry Ruiz, I think they should be attacking more the the end zone, Harry, because when they throw the deep ball to Waller. He had a five five yard cushion, and then the touchdown to Keenan Cole in the back of the end zone. He was open, and these are balls that are going into the end zone. Do you expect the Raiders to do a better job at that going forward? I mean, you see options where they have fellows out there available, and even towards the end of the game, those two passes that were barely thrown a little bit long for Mac Hollins, who could have done mm-hmm. a lot of damage, and it seems to be a, an opportunity that's not being taken advantage of at, at all by the Raiders as it should be. But at the same time, you can't be expecting 50% of the offense to be long passes, but yeah, we definitely right. could see it a little bit more often. Well, I, I tend to see it more often. It's more clear for me. When I see them throw deep downfield, then I see the completions. They're not always complete, but guys get open. Devontae gets behind coverage. Obviously, Mac Hollins gets behind coverage, and Waller on that touchdown, there was nowhere, no one near him, four yards as he got over the top. What would you think of Waller and Renfro, your analysis as you called the game? Yeah, no, and I was looking a lot at the bench and looking and seeing how they're pretty much – not still at 100% ready. I was talking with Eric Allen during the second quarter, and I was like, hey, they're coming back and forth. And it's like, yeah, you got to get that rust out of the way. So this was a great opportunity. Waller got his touchdown. Renfro, his catch was a huge uh, catch in a third down that moved the chains for the Raiders on a third and long. So it's going to be – you can't expect the guys to just go in there and be themselves after not playing uh, Waller since week five, Renfro since week nine. But I loved it that they were back there on the field and that we saw for spurts the potential of what this Raiders offense could be. Harry Ruiz is our guest, the Latino voice of the Silver and Black. Thought the defense outplayed the offense, and that's another concern for me. I don't know. I thought Derek had an off day. He was great at the end on that final drive, especially the fourth down completion to Hollins. But other than that, you know, the delay of game still and some of the penalties that aren't his fault where players jump, but the delay of game drives me nuts. And some of the checkdowns, we saw several checkdowns yesterday where Derek just throwing the ball out of bounds. There was nothing there, and he'd just throw it away when there's some good players out there. And I know he does that because he doesn't want to throw an interception and turn the ball over there. But I think it was fortunate that Mac Jones didn't play well, Derek didn't play well until he had to step up for one of the great comebacks in Raider history. Yeah, and uh, you even go over to the first half with the touchdowns. The second one, the Raiders, it was a short field. They didn't have to do much. And I was shocked that Josh McDaniels didn't call a timeout after the Raiders got the stop on third down, and they were letting the the clock go. And fortunately, things worked out, and Malcolm Coons got his pump block. Raiders got the ball back, and they were able to score a touchdown with 30 seconds left in the first half, getting the ball back with that time. So it worked in their favor, but it's been, what, two games now in a row, the Rams game and this game against the Patriots where the offense, they, they haven't looked at their best. And now you're going to a place like Pittsburgh where that team prides himself in having a great defense. And then you're hosting San Francisco, a team that has an incredible defense as well. So it's going to be a very, very challenging route for the Raiders these last three games, but the offense, they can just, I'm hoping they can just flip the switch and change that situation right now for the Raiders. But in the last two games, 
they've definitely been saved by the defense getting the job done. Absolutely. Harry Ruiz is our guest. And Harry, it's another game where Devontae wasn't a factor in the second half of that game. And I thought he would have been, it would have been very interesting to hear the post-game analysis from the players in the locker room. Devontae and, you know, Waller played decent. He had a touchdown. But Devontae, I don't know why he's getting lost in the shuffle here over a couple of plays, maybe two or three series. If there's 10 possessions in the game, he has three or four. He's not even getting a target or a touch. They have to clean that up in these final three games. Devontae just wants to win, so he's not going to complain a lot about it, but I thought he was open a number of times, and he just didn't get the ball. Yeah, and even in the second half, he was getting covered by the rookie that is wide receiver, cornerback, punt returner, and it's like, come on, you can't let Chris Jones be the guy that stops. Uh, Devontae Adams in year one in the NFL. It's like, get, let, give him the ball. Send it his way. Give him those 50-50 balls that he has been winning throughout the year and giving him, give him an opportunity to make plays, and it wasn't happening. And he's the best player on this Raiders team, in my opinion, mm-hmm. on offense. You've got to keep feeding him, and you've got to keep feeding him and giving him an opportunity. I don't know if uh, the coaching staff, with the absences of Alex Bars and Dylan Parham, said, mm-hmm. you know what, we don't want to risk Derek Carr too much. We don't want to risk that offensive line breaking down, so we're just going to run the ball, hopefully take some time off the clock, and that didn't work because the Patriots scored 21 and answered, and then you had to go back to that air game that, guess what? It worked under two minutes. Harry Ruiz is our guest. We got Harry's final call here. I want to play that while Harry's here. We'll put Harry up here to listen to this. This is how it sounded from our guest Harry on the final play. Los Raiders mandando a cinco jugadores profundos en el campo. Solo presión de tres. Ramondre Stevenson con el acarreo. Y Stevenson sigue de pie. Avanza de la 45 a la 40, a la 35, a la 30. Lanza el pase hacia atrás con Jacoby Myers. Y los Patriotas ahora simplemente... Chandler Jones intercepta el pase. Chandler Jones se mantiene de pie. Chandler Jones se va, se va, se va. Hasta la cocina. Touchdown. Raiders. Chandler Jones lo hizo, Chandler Jones lo hizo, consiguió el balón con los Patriotas intentando lanzar pases laterales y los Raiders de la manera más improbable posible en la historia del fútbol americano han ganado este partido, wow, lo veo y no lo creo. How about that? How excited are you to have that part of your young broadcast legacy a call like that? JT, it's been, what, five games that I've been able to call now, all four quarters for the Raiders, and three of them have been walk-offs, four of them have been yeah. wins. It's just ridiculous. It's like, a, a, I, I was talking yesterday, it's like a, a Hollywood script wouldn't even uh, pay justice to what this, is, this has been. It's been a dream come true, and we got three more games left this year in the regular season, and hopefully the fellas can keep showing out there for Raider Nation and do, the, do what they, they can do and potentially build something bigger for the future. Absolutely. Harry Ruiz, as we wrap it up. So give me the global significance of Argentina winning the World Cup, the volume of people that watch the game. I've, I've said this, and just correct me if I'm wrong, that was the number one sporting event of all time because of the amount of people who watched it, the quality of the game, and the legacy of both Messi and Mbappe. How'd you see it? Yeah, no, it's the biggest... Uh, sports competition worldwide and then you're able to watch a final where you, the one of the favorites goes up two to nothing the other one ties it two to two in the second half they take retake the lead argentina in extra time 
France ties it. They go to penalty kicks and Argentina wins. For Messi, he's one of the goats in soccer. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that people were saying but is that he didn't have a World Cup. Now he does. And he was huge in Argentina's development of new talent as well, that he was a big piece of it. And, And the best part is, JT, he said, I'm not retiring from the national team. I want to go out there and play as a World Cup champion. So Mm -hmm. the world is going to get a little bit more messy, which in my opinion, and if I were to guess, if I were a betting man, I would bet he ends up playing out here in the United States in the MLS sometime soon. I tell you, he's he's the greatest player of all time, I believe. He saved his bets for last with multiple goals, won the national, won the global championship, the World Cup, and Bappe got the golden boot. His career is incredible. It was just fun to watch that and to see it. We were in the parking lot when it ended, and for that, it's something I talked about last night on my show. It's going to take a few days for it to sink in. We had that, the World Cup final, and the Chandler Jones play, Harry, about six, seven hours apart. How's that for a Sunday in Vegas? Right. I'm going to ask one more thing. Please mm-hmm. don't give the World Cup again to Qatar or another country no. that you're going to have the World Cup in in October, and November, December, because then you're putting it up against the NFL. And mm-hmm. a lot of us work the NFL and we are not watching the World Cup. So keep it when it's supposed to be. Unfortunately, we're going to have it out here in the States in three and a half years. You got it, Harry. Great to see you yesterday. Congrats on that call. All the best. Hey, let's go, Raider Nation. Talk to you next Monday, JT. You got it. Harry Ruiz. We have him on Monday. So I left the phones open the rest of the show. We're trying to get to hear from people that were moved, emotionally moved, by the Raiders' victory yesterday. Where do you compare it all time? I thought the Raider Dave made it clear. It's not the holy roller, but it's close. I think the Heidi game is the comparison I give it to. And sea of hands, more important games in Raider history. Think of all the name games. It's important that they get this name right for this game because the other ones have stood the test of time. So it's got to be short to the point and describe what happened there. Where were you at the moment? I want to know the section you were sitting in. I want to know what your sight line looked like. If you weren't at the game, were you watching with friends or family? Were you at a sports bar? Did you see the reaction of others? And how about the reaction of the Patriots and how the Patriots recover from this? If they missed the playoffs by a game, this is the game they missed it. If the Raiders missed the playoffs by a game, which they most likely will, it'll be the Arizona game, up 20 on Arizona. Because you know, the Raiders have other games, or the Baker Mayfield game. But if the Raiders miss the playoffs by two games, then you could say Baker Mayfield, Arizona. But if they only miss it by one, I'm putting Arizona even ahead of Baker Mayfield because that happened at Allegiant Stadium. Speaking of Baker Mayfield, he plays tonight on Monday Night Football against Green Bay. We'll see how they look. They've had a lot of time off since their win against the Raiders on Thursday Night Football. I want to hear from great moment fans in Raider history, the fans that remember the moments and can kind of put it together for us what happened at Allegiant Stadium yesterday. Also have some other sound bites to get to. And what the Raiders need to do to beat Pittsburgh. That'll be the focus to the end of the week here. Happy Hanukkah for those who are celebrating, and Merry Christmas coming up here as the Raiders play on Christmas Eve in Pittsburgh. That weather story is going to be important. How cold is it going to be? What's the wind going to be like? How intense are the conditions going to be for a team that plays indoors and hasn't played many cold-weather games? And what is Pittsburgh playing for? Well, Pittsburgh's never had a, a sub-500 season with Mike Tomlin. So that's their pride as they're playing some better football coming up. That's going to be fun to see, and we'll go around the league with some other games next.
Snap spot. Joseph, right-footed kick. It is good! And the Minnesota Vikings have completed the greatest comeback in the history of the National Football League. From 33 down, they beat the Indianapolis Colts 39-36. All the players are on the field, and that is the ball game. The Vikings are NFC North champions, and they complete the greatest comeback in the history of the National Football League. Paul Allen on the call, Vikings Radio, 39-36, to so that also happened. In the World Cup, we had the greatest comeback in NFL history and maybe the wildest play in NFL history as the Raiders win, all happening over the weekend. How incredible is that? JT, back with you. Thanks for listening, everybody, as we continue. Brought to you by Virgin Hotels Las Vegas. we got a couple other things coming up here. Another podcast series that I'll do in the lobby, which I'm excited about, and some great concerts and food venues and things that they're doing at the end of this year, heading into New Year's and next year that I'm excited to tell you about with that partnership. Let's talk about quickly what didn't happen for the Raiders this weekend because they got a couple of breaks here. They got a few breaks early on. So the, the, we had that Thursday night game, Niners beat the Seahawks 21-13. to That kicked off the week. So the Colts who beat the Raiders lost. So that helped in a way because the Colts are now 4-9-1. They're out of it. The Ravens lost, but the Browns won. The Browns are now 6-8, and same record as the Raiders. But the Ravens are 9-5. and I don't think they're playing good football. So I was excited because I think the I, I predicted this right. I think the Dolphins are playing their worst football. They lost to the Bills. The Dolphins are eight and six. Again, the Raiders should be a six win, seven win team, excuse me. They should have seven wins. They'd be right there with the Dolphins. So the Dolphins losing helps the Raiders in the long run. Then the thing that blew me, the Jets lost 2017. That helps the Raiders. Okay, because the Jets are now seven and seven. Uh, Raiders are one game out there. The Steelers won and beat the Panthers. The Steelers have a 6-8 and eight record, just like the Raiders. The Raiders play them. So that's important. I thought the Steelers should have been long gone by now. They're 6-8, and eight and they're out of it. The thing that I think killed the Raiders more than anything was the Jaguars winning because the Jaguars have the tiebreaker over the Raiders. They beat them this year. So the Jags are 6-8, and eight and they beat the Cowboys 40-34. to 34. There was a walk-off pick six on that in that game for Trevor Lawrence's team. The, the, way, the way they won that game, Dak Prescott throwing a pick six, this knocks the Cowboys out of any contention to catch the Eagles. He drops to throw. Looking, looking, fires middle of the field, and that ball is picked off. It is picked off by Rayshon Jenkins. He's running it back along the right sideline. That is going to be a touchdown. That is going to be a touchdown. The Jags are going to win it on a Rayshon Jenkins pick six. Are you kidding me? How good is that? That's Jaguars Radio. So the Jags are now 6-8, and and they're playing for the division. And now I'll save the worst for the end here. The Chargers won. Cannot believe the Chargers beat the Titans. They didn't play well in that game. The Chargers were shut out in the second and third quarter, and then they went on a drive late in the game to win with a game-winning field goal. The Titans should have been able to win this game. As the Chargers, if they would have lost a game, the Chargers would have been seven and seven, one game above the Raiders. Now the Chargers are eight and six. Snap, kick is up, and it is good. Oh, Cameron Dicker puts the bolts up three with four seconds to go. What a drive! 
Chargers radio on the call. I hate to say it, everybody. I think the Chargers are going to make the playoffs. I think the Chargers are going to make the playoffs with 10 wins with their schedule down the stretch, and the Chargers should have lost several more games this year. For every game that the Raiders lost with a big lead, the Chargers played in a mediocre game where they were losing and came back and won. I can't believe the Chargers have eight wins now. Buccaneers lost to the Bengals. The Bengals are in the playoffs. They're 10-4. and on the year, and the Giants, no relation to the Raiders, the Giants beat the Washington Commanders, and they should have been called for pass interference on the final play of the game, so Washington's freaking out about that. I thought the referees did some bad work this weekend. 702-365-9200. Paul, you're up next in Bakersfield. What's happening, Paul? Hey, what's going on, JT? How's it going today? Good, thank you. Appreciate it. I was in uh, Section 327, brother, Mm -hmm. and uh, I I was in the same boat you were as far as that Final drive with uh, Derek had it, fourth, you know, fourth mm. and ten, and he hit Matt Collins on that little curl route out there to the outside. Big and play. I was just thinking to my, yeah, I was just thinking to myself, I was like, dude, there's no way. This is this is so much pressure on this guy, and I don't know why New England kept playing that soft defense, but first down, first down, first down. I was like, okay, cool, we got some momentum going on here, and eventually, you know, they marched down the field right there about the thirty yard line. And that's when he chucks it deep there to Keelan Cole. I cannot believe, I cannot believe he caught that ball. It was insane, and I was, I was okay. I was okay. And then once Daniel Carlson kicked it, we got the PAT. I was good, and I had already almost lost my voice at that point. Then the play happens, and I lost it. I completely lost it. I literally lost my breath. I could not speak. I had to ask my girlfriend for her inhaler because she has asthma, and I had to get a hit off of that because I, I was just gone. I could not believe that we did that. I I was mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't even know how to explain it. Well, it's For tough to it's tough to TV explain because crazy. no one's no one's ever seen it before. So it's very tough to explain <laughs> when you haven't seen anything like that before to explain it. But I'm sure your entire section was going crazy and there were Patriot fans in your section too. So oh, you must have saw was, a lot of their was. fans in shock along the way as they were leaving. It just felt so much better to be on this side of the wind this yeah. time. Just like when it wasn't against Arizona when they lost and, you know, mm-hmm. Renfro fumbled for that, for that scoop and score. But this, this play here was just something way different. And like you said, it's just remarkable. You can't, you can't put it into words. Yeah. Uh, thanks for the time, man. I'll get, I'll get you on the end. Yeah, gotcha, man. Thanks for listening. The problem is we have to put things into words. We're on radio. We have to tell people what we thought. And that's why I want to hear stories. He told me his exact section in the 300 section. Where were you sitting in the game? Did you know people who left early? I saw people leave early, especially when the Raiders it was fourth down. People were grabbing their clear bags and walking to the exits and then came back. And then some other fans who were there were really upset, and they enjoyed it. The fans in the Modelo uh, Cantina Club where we host a post-game show were absolutely in shock. It took them minutes, minutes to start talking about it. What did I just see? How many people walked by and said, did that actually happen? What did I just see? Lincoln Kennedy on the broadcast. I can't believe what I just saw. We didn't, it didn't sink in. You're looking for flags. You're wondering if it could really happen. Could the Patriots collapse that way? No, normally they don't. And this hurt their playoff chances in a huge way. And that's courtesy of the Raiders. Speaking of the Raiders, head coach Josh McDaniels. We'll play a few minutes of this. Play about six or seven minutes of Josh McDaniels earlier today. Coming off that victory as he had his first meeting with the media earlier today. All right, we'll get. So, uh, kind of like what we said yesterday, um, just kind of a, a grinded out type of a game. Um, <clears throat> thought we got 
some critical plays in each phase wasn't perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Um, you know, I thought we got off to a decent start, and then, um, you know, after Dylan's injury, um, you know, we kind of were shuffling again inside, and um, really, you know, had a, had a hard time, harder time blocking them in the second half there, and really trying to establish ourselves at the line of scrimmage, and um, you know, they got some pressure on us in the pocket too, so um, didn't really get a lot of rhythm and positive plays in the second half, and. We're fortunate that we were able to put together the two-minute drive there at the end to, to tie it. Um, defensively, I thought <clears throat> got off to a decent start again, and then um, you know better in pass defense certainly than than we were in a run game. Um, you know, and so we're going to have to you know certainly things to look at and fix and try to shore up for ourselves. Um, but I thought we you know try to do a decent job of playing down there in the red zone. Um, you know. We're able to, to create some long-yarded situations during the course of the game, get off the field. I thought our third down defense I thought was pretty good. Um, and then in the, the kicking game, which we knew this was going to be a huge challenge, um, I was proud of the effort um, and also the execution of some of the things we were trying to do. I thought A.J. had a really good day. Um, really gave him one ball to return um, there. I want to say it was in the second quarter maybe late in the first quarter, just really the one ball that he had a chance to return, uh, and he brought it back maybe 15 yards. Um, but I thought we covered decent. I thought he punted really well. Um, we tried to really limit you know, Marcus Jones' ability to impact the game, and <clears throat> I thought for the most part our guys did a good job there. And I thought you know, we did, a, we did a decent job of trying to create some field position on the kickoff return. Amir ran well. Um, you know, we, I thought other than the, the one we had the penalty, uh, we, we gave ourselves a chance to have some good field position, so really battled them in the kicking game, which we knew was going to be a challenge. So uh, at the end of the day, it comes down to, you know, turnovers, you know, kind of ended up even at the end of the day on it. And then situational football, um, you know, we were able to put it in the red zone and keep them out and um, obviously be able to stop them in the four-minute defense, get the ball back, and then able to put together a two-minute drive there to tie it. So... Uh, all those things are huge, you know, and they ultimately, um, you know, create the result. Uh, so fortunate enough that we made just enough plays to win. <clears throat> when you get uh, to the point where you guys were at guard, uh, a couple of guys yeah. that, you know, hadn't been playing that position or yeah. been in the building, yeah. frankly, uh, do, does that have to be managed sometimes with your play calling? Yeah, it does. And, um, you know, you never want to say that it's okay to punt the ball on offense. I mean, uh, as being an you know, a former offensive coordinator and somebody who's obviously very, um, you know, involved in that side of the ball. Um, but, you know, there are times where the game dictates that, you know, you got to be smart, you know, versus, you know, trying to do too much. So, um, and I thought those guys battled their butt off, you know, and, um, you know, we certainly, that, that was not the only reason why we didn't, you know, have more success as the game goes on. And, again, they deserve a lot of credit. That's a really good front, obviously. It's a really good defense. Um, you know, but, yeah, it's a, it's a, you know, communication I thought was okay. I thought just in general terms, you just got to be, be smart with what you're attempting to do there. Um, you know, you got you to know who, you know who you're out there with and how long they've been here, like you said, and uh, what their limitations might be. Josh, you guys had a lot of penalties yesterday. Do you think 
kind of mentioned the offensive line having some rotation and, and Darren Hunter being out there for the first time in a while. Do you think all the moving parts on offense contributed uh, to that at all? Uh, there's really no excuses to Sean. I mean, we all know the snap count, you know. Um, you know, to to have to be having those type of issues now. Um, and again, we've had some cleaner games recently, um, you know, and and then all of a sudden to have as many as we did yesterday hurt us the way that they did and put us in long yardage. You know that I don't. There's no excuses for those. Um, you know, we we need to be able to go out and call a play in the huddle and you know break the huddle and get the line of scrimmage and. You know, snap the ball without penalty before the the play clock's down. So, um, no, there's just you know we can't we can't do that. You know, not 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 in consistently play good offense. You talk about the process a lot, Josh. So when you're 14 games in and that is happening, how does the process deal with that? Well, first of all, it doesn't happen every game. You know, so this isn't something that's like you know it's happening every week, but. You know, it, you know, for me, if it happened in week one, I would be pissed. You know what I mean? So, you know, it's not something where it, you need, you know, 12 games to fix it. You know, the reality is, is it's a fundamental aspect of playing offense, defense, or special teams is playing without committing penalties. And so, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, it's hard to win until you stop from losing. And penalties obviously are a way for you to hurt yourself and your team. So, um, you know, we don't coach them. You know, we're going to continue to coach the right techniques. Um, we harp on that. You guys obviously saw us running laps and all that kind of stuff in training camp. So, um, you know, that doesn't stop. So um, we just got to go back to, you know, the fundamental part of, you know, executing the snap and not committing a foul prior to it. And, um, there's no shortcut to it, though. All right, that's Josh McDaniels. Just a small portion. I think did 23 minutes. It's all up at YouTube or on the Raiders' social media pages. Go to Raiders.com for the full interview. And if he, if he would have ended up losing that game, if the Raiders ended up losing that game, I think with all the penalties and the fact that they blew a lead, if they blew a 17-3 to lead, it would have been brutal. I mean, the answers, the questions, everything would have changed. Now, they got to clean up the penalties. I don't know what's going on with the penalties. The, the one penalty that makes no sense to me ever is delay a game. I thought the pace of Derek early in the game was slow. I thought the pace coming out in the third quarter was terrible. I mean, that third quarter moved football back 100 years. That was an ugly third quarter for the Raiders. They were shut out coming out of halftime with the 17-3 lead. That can't happen. And Belichick was going to make adjustments. They couldn't get the ball to Devontae. Couldn't get the ball to anybody. And they were going three and out and punting. It's the same story. Eventually... Eventually, New England was going to make a play, and they were able to do it in the third quarter. So we saw a 16-yard pick six right there to start the third quarter. That was brutal. Great play by Duggar at that time. Great play. Nick Folt had a 47-yard field goal. Then Nick Folt had another 54-yard field goal. It cut it to 17-16. And then Ramondre Stevenson, who's from Vegas, he lives, mom's here. That was an unbelievable run, 34-yard run. It looked like the game was over. 24 to 17, but the other team collapsed, not the Raiders. The other team collapsed, led by Bill Belichick, and that was kind of shocking to me. 702 365 9200 out to the Bay Area. Fabian, good to talk to you again. You're up next. Go ahead. Hey, JT. Just driving into the South Bay from the game. Uh, you know what section I'm in right next to you and mm-hmm. see 133. Yes. And it was. It was. You should have seen your family, JT. They were going nuts. <laughs> it was. I. I was. 
I went over there and high five your boys and high five your wife and and Joe up top and uh, yeah, it was pandemonium. Now, with respect to your question, um, you know, for a non-playoff um, play, yeah, it's 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 top definitely top three. But you know, when you got um, mm-hmm. the Holy Roller, I mean, God, yeah, I was a I was in college when, when that happened. Um, but uh, yeah, it's definitely top three. But uh, but for game for me as a Raider fan, my lifetime, uh, as far as a game, nothing still tossed the 2002 AFC Championship game. I would agree with that. You know, it's good to see you there, my friend. You come to the torch. You know my family. You were out there, and you are. How about the biggest thing that you and I did yesterday is the World Cup. You had the World Cup on yeah, for me in the parking lot, so I could see the final of the World Cup. That started off our day together. That was fabulous. Yeah, the world. I mean, Messi. You know, granted, we didn't get to watch that, but I'm gonna rewatch it here when I get home. But mm-hmm. yeah, Messi holding the cup. That's uh, that'll be a, a good memory because I mean, you know, I, I played. I lettered in soccer, believe it or not. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's uh, that, that definitely caps his his career. Absolutely. Well, good to see. You. I'll see you out at the next game. And thanks for showing up. And uh, appreciate your friendship and everything you do for the station. Well, JT, to see you in a couple of weeks. You got it, Fabian. Checking in. Yeah, he's at the torch for our pregame show. He's at the tailgate. He sits next to me, literally like three seats away from me at the games. As we were sitting there, he was with uh, Raider Reggie out there, and it was fun when I popped over there. That's when I was starting to get a little bit aggravated in the third quarter. When nothing was going on in the third quarter, I looked at my wife and said, I'm out of here. I'm going up top to Horowitz and Lincoln Kennedy to see what's going on in the press box in the booth, and then I made my walk. Uh, over to the Modelo Cantina Club to see the end of the game, and that's always a heart-wrenching walk for me to that side of the stadium. And then I saw it right in front of me. I was lucky that me and Ray Brewer Brewer and I were right in front of the play when it happened there, and it was fun to see. I'll never forget that day. It was a long day. Again, my sons being there with their friends made it special. When you're with family at anything in life, I think of all the countless sporting events I've been to. Most of them are not with my family. It's me working or me with my friends or having an opportunity going somewhere with buddies on road trips over the years. But being a Raiders season ticket holder has been pretty dramatic since they've been here. A lot of exciting games there. Some have gone against them, but a couple of great moments, many great moments. My buddy calls it the house of thrills because he loves the entertainment and loves the games. It's been worth the money if you're a season ticket holder. Just please don't sell your tickets to Niner fans. Please don't do that consciously. I'm not here to tell you what to do. I was pretty upset this morning when I was tweeting. Okay, I had to, like, remind myself, let's tear down the wall and stop this. Let's forget about some of this stuff here. But a lot of fans, when you look at this, you're in control of your tickets. And I'm not going to tell you what you should get for your tickets, especially over the holidays. That's your money. Do what you have to do. But if you sell your tickets consciously to a Niner fan, that is despicable on every level. And you don't have to do that. There's plenty of Raider fans who will buy your tickets. David in Vegas. Come on in, David. What's happening? Hey, hey, JT. I was in Section 102 with my wife. Mm-hmm. And we were right in the middle. And there was probably 50-50 Raiders fans and Patriots fans mm-hmm. in that section. And the Patriots fans were high-fiving. They were going nuts. And then when Derek Carr came back and we got that, 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 that call in the end zone where his foot was in, they started to calm down. Then they came back again. They were going crazy. I was talking to two Patriot fans behind me. They were going so nuts. 
when they got when, when Chandler Jones did what he did, I turned around and talked to them. They were gone, JT. They were gone. They weren't there. They didn't stop to say goodbye. They just left. It was awesome. It was great. Yeah, I was escorting them to the door. I tell them as they walk by me, goodbye, <laughs> wave. I say, you know, thanks for coming. Thanks for dropping money in Vegas and all that. And the Patriot fans travel well. And as you would know this, anybody who's older than the age of 30, or if you're in your 40s, you know, Patriot fans never existed until Tom Brady. They never was traveling. Patriot fans were not traveling to the level of that they're traveling now. Now they're everywhere. And did you see those god-awful half-Brady Tampa jerseys with the half-Brady New England jerseys? I saw about at least four or five of them. Did you see that? Yeah, I did. Yeah. And the guy sitting in front of me was wearing just a straight Brady jersey. And he was <laughs> so drunk he almost passed out before... Before that uh, that play happened, and it kind of brought him back up when all the Raider fans started going. And yeah, that, that's that's interesting. You know what? Brady's not there anymore. Move on. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. That is the most bizarre thing I've ever seen in sports. How you can go into your closet and grab a jersey that says Brady, half of it's Buccaneers with the actual Buccaneer weird robot logo, and then the other half of the jersey is the classic Patriot jersey of Brady. I mean, grown-ass men in their 50s putting on jerseys like that. I can't believe it. And they think it's okay. They think it's okay to support Brady with Tampa Bay there. They're Brady fanatics. And Tom Brady's name is in the media now because he continues to lose and they continue to remain in first place. And what happened to Carolina and the rest of that division? Atlanta. Tom Brady is going to try to find a way to just sneak into the playoffs and get a home playoff game. I thought the Dallas loss in Jacksonville was huge. Because of their record now, they clinched the spot with that loss. Kansas City's win. Kansas City should have got beat by Houston. They were outplayed by Houston for most of that game. They didn't win that. So with everything that happened yesterday, the thing that hurt the Raiders the most was the Chargers winning. The Chargers beating the Titans was a gut punch when I saw that score. Matt in Las Vegas on 920. Hello, Matt. Hi, JT. Just calling to uh, – I had a question for you. Mm-hmm. How to sell my tickets. Not I, – I go out of the game, but I've got other friends mm-hmm. that uh, sell their tickets, and they're always lamenting that there's no other place to sell your tickets other than Ticketmaster. So how do you choose what team yeah. you're selling your tickets to? Yeah, I, um, I would I, – the way the app works and how you could do it, that's a great question. I would just sell it to my inner circle. That's what I would do. If you want to sell your tickets for the biggest profit you can – I'm not going to tell you what to do. That's your business. But I have you can you can sell them to me, or you can sell them to my friends, or I can put you on the radio here and set it up that you're just selling them to Raider fans. I'll go out of my way to do that. I'm more passionate than anyone in this city for that topic. So if you really want to sell your two, you get that ticket number to me, my Twitter. I'll move those tickets for you, but I will only do it for a Raider fan. We will not put that up for other fans of other teams to support. No way, no how. Yeah, I always had the uh, thought that we should build a Raiders app that we could sell. There's a Facebook page I can do it on, similar inner circle thing, but I I wish there was a more uh, structured thing that everybody knew about for all Raiders. Yeah, I I just, again, again, I'm a season ticket holder and don't sell my tickets. I use them or I give them away. People, some other people need the money. They want to do what they want to do. I get it. I get it. But when you sit there and you put up on your Facebook live page or you put up on your Twitter, I got two tickets to sell. Who do you think's buying them? The other team. And that's why I've never had a problem with a Raider fan who comes up to me and says, oh, it's never been like Oakland. I go, it's not Oakland. It's not Oakland. It's not supposed to be Oakland. Vegas is not Oakland, obviously. So it's going to be different here. People want your tickets because they want to experience Las Vegas. 
They want to experience Las Vegas at the highest level, the entertainment capital of the world. This is not Tulsa. This is not Ames, Iowa. People actually want to come here. They want to enjoy this place. They want to have entertainment. They want your tickets, and they want to come in as the opponent. You know this. We're going to be dealing with this for years to come, and all I could do is tell you what I do, and I would never do that, and you do what you want to do. I cannot police StubHub, but we know what's happening over there. Joe in Foxborough. Oh, here they come. Joe, you Raider Nation or you Patriot fan? What's the story? Oh, JT, you know I'm Raider Nation, yes. baby. Joe? I listen to you all week, Thank you. JT, Thank getting you. this team fired up. This Raider fan team. Raider. I'm JT, I'm fired up, baby. You should 20 be. 20 years of hell living in this town. My wife is a Patriots fan. My mother-in-law, Patriots fans. My work is Patriots fans. All week I listen to the BS. Guess what? I walked in today with my head held high. It feels good. <laughs> Nothing it like going to work. Good. Nothing like going to work after a win and, and your team wins and you're in a hostile environment. Way to go, Joe. Thanks for calling in. When we come back, we'll wrap it up. We'll talk about the rest of the week and what we have lined up here. I'm at Resorts World tonight. Even I don't know how I'm going to do that. We're going to Resorts World uh, for the kickoff of Monday Night Football, then back on Sirius XM, Mad Dog, Channel 82 from 6 to 9 p.m. And then a date with my pillow (laughs) to recap this weekend and get ready for a tremendous holiday week ahead and the Raiders on a victory road to Pittsburgh. But you got to play to punt safe. I'm not sure why McDaniels didn't call a timeout. They have all three. And again, the Patriots get the ball before halftime. Josh McDaniels now goes over to the official. They don't take the timeout. Pilardi, he got the block! Coats up the middle with a block. It's scooped up by the Patriots. And the Raiders make a tackle back in the New England 21-yard line. Malcolm Coots came off the left edge and got all of the ball off the foot. Forget the timeout. <laughs> that was a huge play. I don't think the Raiders win the game without Coons blocking that punt. JT, as we're back, uh, the aftermath. Thanks to Harry Ruiz, who joined us. We get into our grid tomorrow. Uh, Levi Edwards will join us from the Raiders. We'll talk to Jeff Sherman, pick some NFL games, and get into our Pittsburgh coverage. I thought we'd do this for about two days, the celebration of that victory. But we got a big week, and we got to find out what the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to bring to the table. They have motivation. Mike Tomlin has never been below 500 in his career. That's special. And they're 6-8. and eight. They beat the Raiders at one game under 500, so they have a lot to play for. And this week, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the immaculate deception and how the Raiders look back on that history with George Atkinson. Raiders rain ta- uh, roundtable tomorrow also. That'll be up and running on YouTube. And then my interview, my exclusive interview with Josh McDaniels might be Wednesday this week instead of Thursday, depending on what the Raiders' travel plans are and the weather issues in Pittsburgh. Thanks to Bobby. Thanks to everyone who shared their memories today. Really appreciate it.